Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B podcast. Kyle here and Ed, you are back. I am back. What's up, player? I have been all over this fine country of ours this summer, but I am back home. What trouble have you and Tom been getting into? No trouble on our end, but as you know, we had El Varner on the podcast last week, and a lot of listeners were waiting for you to be on that po- on that podcast so you could keep that same energy, but you were MIA. Where were you? Oh my gosh, look at this. Yes, I was out of town at one of my young mentees' weddings out in Louisville. Shout out to the state, the great state of Kentucky. I wish I could have had a chance to catch up with our boys, Digital Black and Smokey Diglera. But didn't have a chance to do that. Did get some Indies and some Big Red. You're from Louisville. You know how you're feeling me on that. But, yes, I saw everyone saying, oh, look at Ed running away from Elvana. Look here, player. Let me set the record straight. Because for some reason, players think I'm Charlemagne or something. This is not the podcast where we go on and we start fights with artists just for buzz and clicks. Your boy Tom says it best. It is fair, tough, but fair. So there is no running from Elle Varner, and there is no, oh, she was there, you should have laid into her. No, it's not at all. I have no beef with Elle Varner as a person. I just think that some of her music is a little suspect. So I hope I haven't listened to the interview yet. Hope it went well, but I'm pretty sure that I didn't miss too much. Well, I mean, I can't hate on you if you decide to skip on that. I was thinking, hmm, what are some artists that I would purposely skip out on? And Ed, I'm going to throw a name out there now. I would skip out on Common. You would skip out on Common? What did Common do to you? Well, listen, Ed, I uh, I recently interviewed Nicole Buss, uh, who opened up for Common on his tour. And as I was walking backstage in the venue, I got specific instructions from I don't know whose manager it was it was the tour manager who specifically said once you're backstage you cannot wave or acknowledge or say hi to common Ed that's a little Hollywood don't you think that is very Hollywood I don't know if that is a director from common or if that was just an overzealous stage manager trying to keep the big star from being distracted I know from some of the events I've worked on with some celebrities that people are asked not to like run up on people while they're working on something else. I could see that, but to not wave or acknowledge them in any sort of way, that's a bit much. Even if his mind is on remembering his verses for testify and the food and whatever else he's trying to remember, he can wave at a human being. Good Lord. That's a little suspect. Well, I'm going to defend Common, I guess, because apparently Tom's friend bumped into Common a day later in the streets and got a photo with him. So maybe it was just a bad day for him. Well, I've heard nothing but positive things about Common. So I'm wondering if this is actually more the stage manager and not Common himself. We shall see, but that is some whack stuff. Nevertheless, Ed, Common is no longer welcomed on our podcast. Not for that oh, reason, but because he's a hip-hop artist, not an R&B artist. And Ed, we are an R&B podcast. Let's focus well, here. Well, that makes more sense than anything. That I'll give you. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get started on the new music, I want to give a shout-out here, Ed. And you can let us know who this person is. But Montrez Jones, do you know who this is, Ed? 
Yes, yes. Shout out to the homie. He is very active on Twitter and very supportive of both sites. So yes, shout out. And it's crazy because I looked in his bio and he's born in 2001, yet he loves R&B just as much as we do. Ed, in 2001, were you rocking jerseys and and baggy jeans? Um, absolutely. Well, actually, I was probably rocking baggy jeans in 2001, but I had, I had I was half and half, dog. I wasn't rocking the throwbacks like Fabulous and Jay Z. But I still probably had my bag of jeans phase. Took a couple years to get well, out of that. Well, hey, that's kind of cool. We lived that era, and Montrez is now celebrating it. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe that. But shout out to my homie because he may be young, but trust, he knows his music, and he knows the good stuff. So he's a smart one. And he supports us every week. But, Ed, let's get into the new music here. Um, let's talk about El Varner's EP. We all we actually had a chance to listen to it. Even Ed, you know, we, we know you're tough, but we've always said you're fair. So Elevation, the EP came out. What did you think? Now, I had the opportunity to hear this before I went out of town. So this was pre-interview. But um, I think that we got an advanced copy of that one. So we were able to and grateful to hear that a little bit early. And that's kind of where the praise ends. Look, players, I know, and honestly, I don't know. I think I was talking to you and Tom offline a couple weeks ago about, like, just seriously. I'm like, what is the attraction? with? Because Elvarna, to me, and you guys may have discussed this in the interview, I feel like she has a very strong, healthy fan base for an artist who is relatively new. Because most artists that we see that are kind of in this era don't have the rabbit fan base that she has. She has a ton of fans, but the output, I'm just not seeing it. The production is solid. The vocals are not. The writing is okay. The features are solid. I really like um, Rhapsody on whatever the name of that song was she was on. It's probably the best thing on the whole album. But it's just so run-of-the-mill. And it's a shame because if she had some vocals to back up that production and to back up that construction and songwriting, we have something. But everything just sounds... There's no urgency. There's no fire. There's no energy. There's no passion. There's no storytelling in it. And say what you want about... I know there are a lot of Beyonce critics, and we'll get to her later on, but she is an artist who is able to kind of have inflections and to rise and fall with the beat with her voice and actually tell a story with the actual vocals and not even the lyrics. And that's something that Elle has not captured yet. She's got to get some energy in these songs, man. I'm falling asleep. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I listened to that project, and I've never, like, I, I, I really liked Elle's debut, but vocally, I've never considered her, like, a super top vocalist. But I think... The problem with this project to me, and I don't think it's a bad project, I'm just going to say it's not for me, but it's missing the dynamic production that we got on the debut from uh, Oak and Pop. This is more acoustic, folksy um, type of music, and it to some people it might complement Elle's voice, but to me I didn't, I didn't feel it. Um, the, the song with Rhapsody is probably the best one on there. Um, the single with Wally is kind of a grower, so I'll give her that, but the rest of it, Ed, like, it's been, I guess, it's been a while since her debut, so this was not the project that I felt like I wanted from her after that long of a hiatus. Granted, it is an EP, and there is a full-length, 
uh, sophomore album in the way uh, on the way. So I can't give her that many points off, but I just kind of wanted something different from L than what we got. Um, it's funny you mentioned that you thought this was kind of a step down from the LP. I've heard the LP, and it was funny. I heard it years and years ago, and didn't realize that she had this tremendous fan base. To me, it's the same complaints I had about the LP or the same thing I have about this. Decent production, okay songwriting, lazy, energyless, lifeless vocals. That's what she's got to kick this energy up, dog. Because until then, everything is just middle of the road. And that, to me, is what's hurting. Yep. But she still looks good, so we'll give her that, right, Ed? Oh, God. <laughs> Now, Ed, if that's a little too basic for you, if El Varner's music is just, you know, there for you, how about Angie Stone's new project? Didn't you say it was like grown woman music? Oh, yes. Angie Stone's project. Listen, it's one of my favorite. When I say funny, I don't want to mean that in a disrespectful way. But player, this, some of the songs on this project is hilarious. I didn't say grown woman. I said it was auntie music. Now, for those who don't know, there was um, Ava DuVernay a few months ago went off and did and said that she didn't like when people called her an auntie because she thought it was disrespectful and it was making her feel old and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the term auntie is one of endearment in the black community It's one that almost of respect. So if there's an older woman that you respect, you kind of call them auntie. Just like the old that younger people call me OG. OG is kind of like, okay, I respect you as a senior person. Not as an old man, but as a senior. This Andy Snow album is straight up auntie music. Player, the song titles are hilarious. She's got a song called Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. And the song is actually good. She's got a song called Grits, where she's telling you young girls... How to have sex and you got to have sex like stirring up a pot of grits. This is stuff that you would hear from your crazy old aunt at the cookout that would be embarrassing as crap, but also kind of entertaining and also a little bit of nugget of truth in there. So that's why I really, Angie Stone is always to me, I always described her as if Mother Earth was an R&B singer, she would be Angie Stone. And it's what it sounds like. Angie feels like everybody's auntie. Saying embarrassing stuff, but she's kind of right. And the songs are kind of okay. So if you're an Angie fan, I think you'll find a lot to love. It's definitely an acquired taste for an album, but it was kind of entertaining to me. Wow, Sex and Grits, that like belongs on a TED Talk. Oh yeah, she Angie Stone TED Talk, How to Have Sex Like Stirring a Pot of Grits. <laughs> right. Now, Ed, we got to get into a soundtrack here and a movie that went with it. Can I first say I love Beyonce? Oh, you can say it, but you're still going to get your your Twitter blown up because I know where this is going. Listen, I think Beyonce is a fantastic musician, probably a legend. I would put her in legendary status, and we can get into that conversation later. And one of the most celebrated artists of our generation. But Ed, that movie, that Lion King movie that I watched just last night, just like those grits that we need to keep on stirring, this, they should have just thrown it out. It was a horrible movie. (laughs) It was disappointing. And Ed, 
I don't know if Beyonce was playing the wrong role or if she even should have been in the movie, but the entire time when she was speaking, all I could think about was her saying, ladies, get into formation. It was a disaster, but... Oh my goodness. But, Ed, you did get a chance to review the soundtrack, and before you get into that, let me explain to you why I didn't even bother bother listening to this soundtrack, and it's not because I think Beyonce is overexposed. It has nothing to do with that. I tried... And I'm one of the few people that actually still download music. I'm not even sure I'm allowed to admit that on this podcast. But <laughs> I downloaded the, pod, uh, the, the, uh, the album on my phone, but I forgot to turn on my Wi-Fi. So it downloaded on my data network. And I only have like 6 gigs a month. And 100 oh, no. megabytes of that went to this soundtrack. I listened to two songs and I had no idea what was going on. So I stopped it. But I'm kind of mad that I lost 100 megabytes right there. I would be more mad about that than anything else. I'd be more mad about that than that crappy performance in the movie. Now, letting a brother say, before I get into the actual album review, which you can check out the full review on soulandstereo.com, by the way. I haven't seen the movie, but I was very worried because the movie The Lion King, not only is it something best part of our childhood, the reason why it's incredible is because you got these animals and they're literally animated so you can have expressions on their faces i again i haven't seen a movie you can speak to this better than me but how can they give these emotional performances when lions just kind of staring deadpan at it like it, it a lion can't convey like when mufasa died and symbol was like rubbing on him as a kid and his face looked so sad that was so heartbreaking they can't do that in a live action movie so I feel like that's where this was already going to fall apart. Along with Beyonce just sounding like she's just reading lyrics. Because that's literally what she is. And whoo, that thing sounded rough. Anyway, to the album. Um, I get why you don't feeling it. And to be honest, I don't think most of our listeners would be feeling it. Because it's not an R&B album. And as much as fans try to hold on to those Destiny Tile days, players a long time in the past. Beyonce hadn't given y'all R&B since like the 4 album, so don't look for that here. Instead, it's not even a, a Beyonce album per se. It's mostly a showcase for international artists. So it's a lot of Afro beats, it's a lot of African-based production, and for that, it's okay. I thought it was a solid release, but for the type of R&B that most of our listeners enjoy and look for, this is not the project for you. It'd be like going to Pizza Hut and being pissed off that you got a bad salad. You went to Pizza Hut. You don't go there for salad. So you're looking in the wrong place if you're looking for that. Right. Ed, let me ask you this. When it comes to Disney and Beyonce, and this might get controversial, so send all of your hate tweets to E.T. Bowser. I'm throwing you under the bus right now, Ed. <laughs> Glad. This collaboration between Disney and Beyonce for The Lion King... Does Disney need it more, or does Beyonce need it more? Oh, please. I think Disney... I, I won't say needs it more, because at this point, Disney is going to rule the universe, and we're going to all be subserving it to them. But I think that be, having Beyonce on board is what gave what's going to give this movie so much juice. I can tell you right now, because I live in a house with a card-carrying Beyonce stand, and she likes Lion King okay. But we have to see this movie because of Beyonce. And there are many, many, many people who are out there now that I'm sure will this movie will break records because they're going to see Beyonce. Beyonce is 
the draw. Even though Nala, if I remember right in the cartoon, had like a good six lines of that. I'm sure they'll probably give her a little bit more in this movie, but it's all about making it a Beyonce movie, even though her part in it can't be that big, unless they change a lot of stuff around. You probably can speak to that better than I can. But yeah, I would think that Beyonce don't need this, but Disney will be glad to have a theater full of beehive psychos running around. Trust that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the, the movie isn't far different than the original. There's a couple of lines that they changed up but it didn't really deviate from it too much which i think was the problem the movie kind of felt unnecessary but Mm -hmm. i mean that that's a conversation for another day uh let's talk about something else here ed because i think we're we're treading we got to tread softly with these beyonce stands they are listening and listening to everything we're saying but let's let's switch it up and congratulate a couple of people here ed uh, we got to congratulate Monica for hitting number one with her single commitment on Urban AC. Oh, good for her. I didn't know that. Seemed to be honest, I'm not even being funny. I didn't realize it was still climbing the charts. We hadn't really talked about it recently. So shout out to my girl, Mo. Yep. And then shout out to Kevin Ross. He has a distribution deal with Empire now. So we'll be hearing new Kevin Ross music in the near future, Ed. Listen, I'm never one to turn down some Kevin Ross. One of, in my opinion, one of our new shining stars. The more we can get him out there, the better. Because he, along with a few others, to me, are the future of the genre. Agreed. And I was going to make one more congratulation. But before we do that, uh, some new music here from... um, Who do we have here, Ed? We have Life Jennings and Shantae Moore. They've dropped new songs. And next week, BJ, the Chicago Kids album comes out. So we'll talk about those next week, but Ed, the last congratulation, and before we get into it, let's give a quick shout out to my boy, Boom Boom Caesar, who we have been going back and forth with on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, Much love to him, and it's all in good fun, no one takes it personal, but uh, we do have to congratulate Sierra for going platinum with her single level up. I think we have to congratulate her on that. I mean, that is a big accomplishment, but... Ed, I'm going to put it out there like this, all right, Ed? And maybe you can speak to it um, better than I can. But that platinum success, and not to take away from it, but a lot of it was because that song went viral. I don't think there's any way Um, to, to go around that because I don't think it was a radio hit, but... Does a song that go vi- that goes viral, is that still considered as successful as a million copies sold? Player, you answered the question yourself. And I understand, we talked a couple weeks ago about how the game is different and how we can't judge things with a 1999 view. We can't judge stuff by just what comes on the radio. We can't just judge stuff by who sits on the couch on BET. So we have to take into account that if a song goes viral, then yes, that's a, a, I mean, it's a level of success. However, here is where I come in. I said the same thing about that stupid Drake song, and everybody got mad about me. But you know we can go to E.T. Bowser on Twitter and yell at me there. The reason why is not the same to me as a single being sold physically for a million copies as opposed to streaming or going viral is because that shows a short-term commitment to me 
When you think about viral stuff and viral challenges, remember the ice bucket challenge? Nope, you probably don't because that was a few years ago. Everybody did it like crazy and then you forgot about it. Same thing with the Kiki Do You Love Me challenge and whatever else. Challenges are things and viral songs are things that pop off for literally like a month at the most. And then they fade away to obscurity. So good for Sierra for riding that wave temporarily and getting that temporary change. But if you think anybody will remember Level Up by the time we're doing our albums and songs of the year in November, December, absolutely not. And next summer this time, there's somebody mentions Level like, what song? I don't remember Level Up because it's a short-term fix. So I'm not hating on the success. I'm not hating on the number of streams. Good for her. Get your money. Buy your baby something. All cool. But I'm not going to pretend that because it went viral that it's a actual good song or that it's a genre changing and influence song. No, it's something y'all liked for a couple weeks and then forgot about it. These are the times we live in. Yeah, and I think the point that Boom Boom was making was, hey, this is still the music business and artists need to do whatever they can to attain a certain amount of success. And we saw that clearly with Chris Brown's last two albums when he put out 30 and 40 something songs. Uh, I'm Ugh. sorry, you had to go through that, Ed. But I think Thanks. there still has to be some sort of credibility here because, Ed, when I think about artists that have very big singles but they don't sell anything when it comes to albums, which is point in case this Sierra project, Ed, I think of, about people like Flo Rida, like Pitbull, like Jason Derulo, and I don't think anyone is calling these people legends even though they have big singles. and. I think it depends on your goals as an artist, but I don't think Sierra wants to just be known as a single artist. I, I mean, I don't know what goes on in her head, but I kind of agree with you. And that point that you raised is very good because it goes into what we actually what we were talking about on social media, um, actually while I was out of town and a little bit before, with the discussion about what makes and what doesn't make a legend. And because of the era that we live in, we're in an era of hype and buzz and a lot of foolishness and a lot of fuzzy numbers to judge legendary status. People say, oh, well, it's so such and such and such. They're a legend. Absolutely not. You know why? Because I can name an artist like Frankie Beverly and say he's a legendary artist. And no one would argue that. But then if you actually go and look at his sales, you'd be like, uh, Before I Let Go is one of the biggest R&B songs of all time. It didn't sell nothing because that is what you measure legendary status by. To me, you measure it by lasting impact you have had on your genre. That's not short term success. That's legendary success. And you cannot judge legendary success by a song that went viral for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and this is one I'm afraid of, Ed, and you make a good point, um, because we were trying to figure out what determines legendary or classic. Is it determined by accolades and, uh, and achievements, or is it based on quality? Is it a combination of the two? I think it has to be a combination of the two, because you just can't compare apples to apples. Um, some people just have had more opportunities through the label and and their records being pushed to hit the top of the charts but to me quality plays a big part of it but Ed let me ask you this how mm -hmm. much does an artist's celebrity or fame have to do with them 
becoming a legend because the point that I saw was artists like Sierra because they're still in the mainstream, um, uh, you know, on award shows and all that. And to an extent, people like John Legend and I might even put Jennifer Hudson. If we're just basing it off of fame and celebrity, those three are going to go down in history as legends. And maybe not to us, but maybe at some point someone's going to rewrite history and remember them as the big names but honestly none of those three scream legend to me well you have a point about that because celebrity does play a big view a big role especially it plays a big role after the fact so let's say you're an artist like a um let's take jennifer hudson for example and this might not be a fair comparison but just roll with me here for a minute jennifer hudson is an artist who has had success in the music industry from American Idol and whatever and she's had some success as a solo artist as far as album sales and her own records she's had some success if you go look at the numbers the the numbers aren't as big as you would expect because of her celebrity because she's always in the news because she's a big number really at this point known more as an actress than the actual artist in the way that we're talking on our podcast, if an IFA fan, let's say 15 years from now, after her career has wound up and they aren't that familiar with her music, but they're familiar with her name because they know she's a big deal. They know she's a big singer. They know she was in a whole lot of movies. They can see that she was everywhere. They can then say, well, she's a legend because of her celebrity, her level of celebrity. I know this is an RB podcast, but this is a discussion I had a little earlier this week about Nas, who is an artist who just released an album. And even though, in my opinion, he is one of the greatest rappers of all time, released the best art, um, rap album of all time, in recent years, people don't consider him a legend. Younger fans don't. And why? Because his profile has been way lower. He has put out like maybe one or two albums in the past 10 or 15 years. And when you think about music, the audience changes over every 10 or 15 years. So they only know like maybe one album that he put out. They don't know the older stuff. They, he's not constantly in their face like a Diddy or a Jay-Z. So they're like, oh, well, he's overrated. Because they haven't experienced anything from him. So yes, I definitely agree. Unfortunately, legendary status is judged by celebrity and how much you in our face and that is not a good indicator of a legendary status to me it has in some cases because influence is a big thing but it's very it's one of those things that can really color the numbers and kind of show that people aren't as big as they seem yeah and that's my thing too i'm like okay it's a good thing if you're out there making moves and people know your name but if nobody gives a damn about your music that can't be legendary status to me. I'm sorry. I don't know how. I don't care how you flip it or, or, or change things around for their perspective. You're not a legend in that case. And that's the thing. And the other thing, too, speaking of the legendary conversation, is I, I've learned that people just use the term in totally different ways. The way we're discussing right now, a legend or a... Well, we'll talk about first a classic album. A classic album slash legendary artist is someone who has a sound 
or a body of work that has influenced the genre in some way. That's not how people really classify classics and legends now. Now they classify it as if you sold a whole bunch or if your album is good. So if an album that they heard that they like, oh, it's a classic. No, that's just an album you like. That's not a classic. If I ate a bag of Skittles and it was good, it was not a classic. It was a good bag of Skittles. And I think that's another thing that kind of makes this conversation really weird and difficult online. Because people have different ways that they're measuring legends and classics. To me, you have to affect something. And you have to have something that people are going to talk about and remember decades from now. If you dropped a decent album that ain't nobody remember by the end of the week, that ain't a classic and you ain't a legend. Well, the good news is I posted on the You Know I Got So, and I think you shared it on the So In Stereo page. Ed, according to the fans, Ashanti has like four classics. <laughs> if Ashanti could spell four classics, I would be surprised. Get out of my face with that. And I, and I know I pick on Ashanti a lot on this podcast, and my wife is always like, don't you like Ashanti? I do. I like her. But the standum of Ashanti that we've seen in... I don't know. The past 10 years is ridiculous. I like her, but y'all chill. Well, I also saw that like Brandy had like five classics. So everyone has classics, Ed. We can, all, we can all party. Well, I can't wait until I have three classics from waking up this morning. Brandy has five classics. Come on now. She barely <laughs> has five albums. All right. Uh, one question that uh, Caesar did have for us, and maybe you can you can speak on this is why do you feel labels push towards um you know viral challenges and push towards higher stream streaming numbers as opposed to promoting album sales and and buying the records why do you think the labels do that because i know the answer i mean well i'll well you can weigh in in a second but i believe to me it's the sign of the times is easier number one getting people to actually and I know this is um, a marketer and a journalist. Putting people, it's a lot easier for people to just see something, to latch on to it, share it on social media, and in their minds, or to stream it because it doesn't cost them anything, quote unquote, as to taking time to actually go and purchase something. That's number one. Number two, when things go viral, you can pick up a whole lot of extraneous streams that way. So, you can just listen to it. If you hear like, oh, there's a such and such challenge. Oh, let me go hear this because I want to hear what this is about. I don't know what this is about. You're more apt to do that than to actually go check out this new song on Soul and Stereo's page. Or go hear this new album streaming on You Know I Got Soul's page. Because we're lazy. Number three, challenges are a great way, just like back in the day, how they would video soul would show so-and-so's video on repeat 500 times. Challenges are a good way to hear a song over and over and over and over and over and embed it in your brain by just watching a 30 second clip. So it's the same principles that we use to sell music decades before, except now you have the actual people generating the content for you. So you only have to spend money on making a video that you can pocket that video budget because they're going to make videos for you and they're going to put them on their blogs for you. And there are going to be thousands of kids sharing that music for you. It's the easiest way to promote music, get your streams popping. And yeah, it's, again, short-term success. That's kind of the, the one problem with it. But in the short term, oh, you making bank. 
Long term, we ain't gonna remember you in a month. Yeah, and I'm gonna say this. I agree with you 100%, Ed. But I think the sole reason to answer the question is because labels have gotten lazy. They're going for the short-term success with the album streams because Ed, if you remember, over the last decade or so, they've been trying to get album sales to go up, but it continually goes down. And I think at some point they just gave up and said, you know what, let's just focus on this streaming. And I'd like to see the numbers on how much the label makes on streams versus album sales. I'm willing to bet album sales are a lot higher. Um, But then again, I guess you got to factor in like transportation and shipping costs of the physical albums. But man, I still believe there is an avenue for artists to sell actual albums. I think Bruno Mars did very well with physical copies on his last project. So there is a demand out there. Um, But to have consumers and fans measure success of streams and equate it to physical album sales, I, I can't see that that shouldn't be the case. Well, I mean, you just answered your own question. Go back and look at what you said. You said Bruno Mars sold very well when it came to physical copies. Bruno just all all Bruno had to do is drop one of the best albums of the past ten years. That's all he had to do. Because when you do that, then you see tangible results of success. When you have a lot of and we've talked about this before, when we have an industry that's controlling the sound of music. And they aren't worried about the culture. They don't care about creating lasting music. They want quick, fast results. And the quickest and fastest are streams because you're hitting people where they are. They don't have to buy a thing. And they can you can trick them into streaming something over and over and over again for a period of time. Hey, Cousin Chris, if you can do that, then you are able to get your change up without worrying about shipping and distribution and blah, 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 and spending money on that. This is a quick way to get a whole bunch of cash without having to go through the traditional streams of revenue of retail. So that's why we're seeing it. And unfortunately, we have a culture that kind of buys into it. And it's like, hey, if your this song is being played a thousand times, it must be a classic. If that's the case, look, seriously, if this was what year did Who Let the Dolls come out? Like 2000? Player, if that yep. song came out today, we would be like, that is a classic. I don't even remember the dudes' names. They would be legends. We'd be writing tweets about them, how they're changing the game, and they're the greatest thing ever. They had one song, one song that was annoying. But because they hyped it, it was good for its moment and went away. In 2019, we would have hyped it to pieces. Look at Lil Nas X. He is our who let the dogs out. And there you have it. So, Ed, before we go into the soul back track of the day, this is the most important question of all. Is Sierra a legend? Uh, don't answer that, actually. <laughs> oh, I will. No. Next question. All right. <laughs> Let's go into the soul back track of the day really quickly here. I've got one for you, Ed. This is a staple in the wedding community. Let's go with the song Case Happily Ever After. Yes, and yes, that's a perfect segue because while I was apparently running from my life from El Varner, I was actually experiencing a very beautiful wedding. So they didn't play that song. They did play some great R&B, though. Shout out to my, um, my crew, Matthew and Angelica. They're both members of the Solar Stereo Cypher. And they had some great Miguel songs and other songs as part of their ceremony. So it was very cool. So yes, Happily Ever After is my song. Shout out to Beyonce, the one time that she acted well because she didn't have any lines to speak in that video. 
and shout out to Case. That's our boy. <laughs> shout out to Case. All right, Ed. Are you ready for the play of please? What? Wait, actually, Ed. Yes. Before we get into the play of please, I forgot we actually have to bring in our guest now. <laughs> so. Yes, um, our guest. I'm very excited about this one. Yes, we yes, because you skipped out on the last podcast, but we had to bring you back for this one because Ed, we're gonna have to grab our soda and our, and our popcorn because we have cut close coming now. And like I said, every week we try to bring in someone special, someone who has brought soul back. And Ed, I know you're really excited for this one. Man, you have no idea. I am so excited for this one. I am honored to introduce three ladies who burst on the scene in the mid-90s. And in their short tenure, they still left us songs and an album that's finally remembered today, duets that have gone on to be unquestionable R&B classics. One of my personal favorite groups of all time, of all time. I'm going to say it like y'all used to say it on Keith's song. Tabitha, Athena, and LaVon. Very honored to welcome the ladies of Cut Close to the Soul Back Podcast. What's up, y'all? Hey. The sun is up right now, for one. Thank the Lord. The sun is up. Yes, thank the Lord. Ed, I'm going to pass it on to you. Just like we were talking about off the air, everyone in the world knows you're the biggest Keith Sweat fan in the world. Some would say your nickname is Edward Sweat, but (laughs) (laughs) what does Cut Close Close mean to you? Cut Close came on the scene, like I was saying a little bit earlier. Um, In that mid-90s when we were just blessed to have so much talent just hitting us again and again and again. Like records that have gone on to be classics were just coming out every other week. You turn on Video Soul or BET and you're hearing these records all over the place that would go on to define a genre. And Cut Close was one of those voices because during Keith Sweat's big run, a lot of those classics from Nobody to Twist It, you would hear from Get Up On It. You would hear them on it. And not only that, they had the opportunity to shine as well. So, ladies, I know you dropped your album in 1995, Surrender, one of my favorite albums of that era. I remember, I'm going to date myself, y'all, with this one, but I remember playing Super Nintendo in my living, in my floor, in my bedroom floor, and I would have that album on repeat while I played <laughs> Chrono Trigger. So, ladies, tell us a little bit about what you remember about that album and gone on. And then the songs have gone on to be each of your individual favorites from that album? Well, uh, this is Tabitha speaking. Um, You know, I think for the album for myself, it's probably the epitome of what the title was. We had to surrender to a lot of things. (laughs) We had to surrender to a whole lot of things in order to get this this album finished. So um, it was our first time doing... um, a lot of things, just to say that. We were all coming out of uh, different situations in our life. I was coming out of high school, basically, and <laughs> trying to be a grown-up and um, was presented with certain songs. And in the beginning, Cut Close came out as a gospel, uh, urban contemporary gospel group. So um, mm-hmm. us ending up being with Keith Sweat uh, and the song selections that we chose to be on the album was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but it took some surrendering, I guess, for us to be able to do that. 
<laughs> Amen. And so uh, a lot of the words, like, oh, my goodness, dude, what are we doing? Trying to be BB and CC wine and having, you know, songs that could go either for God and for, you know, your man or your husband and your wife or whatever, you know. Um, it was a, it was an interesting experience, but, um, in, in it all, I guess, I guess it was, it was such a wonderful and gratifying thing to actually have a completion of, of something that was us. It was so unique where I felt like, um, nothing else was like ours, you know, you know how everybody kind of feels that way about their stuff. So you're not really sure of how people would take it, but the response was pretty overwhelming. So, yeah. So Tabby, what was your favorite track from that album? I have so many, um, but I think if, if I think about what I feel like right now, because you're asking someone who's much older, um, I probably would say it would be a tie between "Don't Change" and "Giving You My Love Again," even though I love, I like. But I, I think the um, the words, the words that you know, had such meaning to it in a growth kind of way instead of it being such a physical kind of way, you know? Agreed. Giving you my love again is my joint. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Athena, what do you think? What uh, what songs from that album have gone on to, like, really make a mark on you? Oh, gosh. That is, that is a hard one because, you know, the project, to me, was such a labor of love, you know. I mean, y'all, we probably recorded like 80 songs, if not more, you know, (laughs) and just to, you know, to get the, to come up with, you know, the the project that we did. Uh, Gosh, that's hard. Giving You My Love Again is definitely high on the list. Um, Probably... Between that and surrender, mm, yeah. and not not just you know a, a lyrical content aside, just you know melody wise and just the you know the overall feeling of that song, you know for that era that we you know were recording in, I feel like it it also epitomizes you know that that whole time of you know recording R and B. Right. Yeah. All right, Levon, come through. Which one is your favorite? I'm going to come through. (laughs) First of all, I would like to say, this is Levon, and um, I came fresh from out of the church. Um, My thing was, um, I know you're talking about the album, but I want to give you a little background about where I was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fresh out of the church, both of my parents are um, in gospel groups. I was a, a big fan of Michael Jackson and, you know, everybody is, but Stacey Lattisall and uh, Denise Williams. And the thing is, I wanted my own, and I thought that I, I wanted to make it, you know, if Michael could do it, I could do it too. So I I, I got a band together. So I was doing a band, um, even though I was fresh out of the church. Mom, I, they supported me all the way. So I say that to say this about the album. When I got with the girls and Keith, um, I was a little nervous because even though I was doing top 40 stuff, I knew that I I was a little scary because I was fresh from out of church. And I, 
but I was being kind of disobedient to my parents of singing in this band. You know, it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it wasn't bad because I wasn't doing all the dirty songs. So when I got with the girls who weren't doing dirty songs or, you know, you know what I mean by dirty, um, we were doing, like Tabitha said before, we were more so uh, contemporary gospel um, music and or love songs, and that was okay. So when I got with, um, when we got with Keith, it's a little different for me. You know, certain words I wouldn't want to say, <laughs> I didn't want to say. So, um, but I had to do what I had to do if I wanted to, do, you know, make my dreams come to life. So I, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, but I would say that giving you my love again and don't change mm-hmm. and keep on, the ones that, that are not so sensual or <laughs> just talk mostly about love, um, it really t- is top on my list. So I, I, I love the whole album, but those are the three that um, back then <laughs> – is what I really, really, really enjoy. No doubt. Those are my faves, no too. Doubt. Ladies, talk about I think, I think that your... whole album is your fave, ain't it? Yeah, y'all already know. <laughs> ain't, ain't, ain't no wrong answer. You know what I'm saying? We could take the dog on get up on a remix, and that joke like, yeah, man, that's my favorite, too. <laughs> I, know, I was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's talk about Let's talk about you guys working with Keith Sweat. You know, we've interviewed um, other groups that have worked with Keith. I think um, one group we talked to was Drew Hill. And uh, Keith has a certain direction. He has a certain mindset when he goes into recording songs. He sort of has an idea on, uh, you know, what works best for the group. So what was that experience like working with Keith early on? Like an African safari? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it was like an african African safari now imagine being on an african safari and first you was out there in some jeeps you know what i'm saying just driving (laughs) (laughs) just driving along oh that's cool man look at yeah man i'm glad we're in this car though i'm glad we're in this car because that joke would look like it catch us if we was walking man and then along the way Car started going. What? What are we doing? <laughs> and so, and so, when the car started to break down, everybody started getting nervous. Mm-hmm. Nervous, like, oh my goodness, Lord, please let this car make it to the end. Let it make it to the end because if we get stuck in this crazy nomad land, we're gonna be toast. <laughs> and so, along the way, you know, things start breaking down. Oh, lights start going out, stuff starts flashing, you know. I'm I'm saying that to say that it was a roller coaster or something else. Yeah. <laughs> it's a metaphor of a, sure. a journey through an African safari where you see beautiful things and then you understand the dangers of things. And on yeah. the way, if you keep going, you gas run out and you ain't got no protection. And it's like, boy, what the heck did I jump into? Did what to our, our guys, you know. <laughs> I know it sounds yeah. like... Sounds like a horror movie, so to speak. But you know, it's life. It's the journey that we had. So I, I would say that we probably experienced every emotion that we possibly could feel uh, working with you. Yes, I that, that that was all basically to say that. You know, I know I could have just said that, but you know, thought I'd make it a little colorful. You know, I'm trying to be Picasso over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we appreciate that on the podcast. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, don't. 
<laughs> so yeah, it was trying. It was trying, but at the end, you know, even though we had three flat tires when we made it across the finish line, and you know, people was limping like, man, I don't know if we're gonna do this again. Oh, we gotta think about it. We're gonna need some rest for a second. That's the hiatus <laughs> that we took mentally to get some rest because you know your brain started to be like that one story they used to tell on on the uh, on the commercials when they said this is your brain on crack or something and they break your eggs mm-hmm. and let it fry. <laughs> oh wow. We had a well, yeah, but that's like, brain arrest. And so and that brings up a... at the end of the day I think that, you know, flowers are blooming. You know, all these colorful flowers that just sing and keep giving us gifts. Now everybody likes the gift that keeps on giving and that is a gift that keeps on giving. So I love it. Yeah, and that's the point that I wanted to hit on because you guys you had the you had the album which was successful. Um, you started working with Keith on his '96 project again, very very prominent and visible there. But then, like, and, and we'll get to um, we'll get to you in a second, Athena, with your um, your stuff later on. But like mm-hmm. after that, you know, we didn't hear from you, so we were always wondering, like, what happened to Cut Close? Like, what? So were those? so to speak, the bumps in the road in Safari, was that the reason you were like, all right, let me get off this ride for a little while, get myself straight, not get eaten up by these wild animals? Well, yeah, of course. You know, It was a mentally draining situation in the time of your life when you're just experiencing life. But, like, I, it was wonderful moments, too. So, you know, at this point in analyzing the whole thing of what I feel like we went through, I think that everything that we went through was worth it. Um, because of the character mm-hmm. that it allows you to have afterwards, and uh, hopefully mm-hmm. the smarts too, not to fall in yeah. the snake pit, you know, that we saw back then, that we fell into and started getting bit up by stuff when we were waiting for the antidote for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you just you go the turn you keep rolling with it. Wow, <laughs> the mind of Tabitha. <laughs> I mean, I feel you, girl. <laughs> but yeah, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. I can't really, you know, I mean, the fact that I have my girls. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, Athena, well, it's, it's wonderful. During that, well, a little bit after that time, Athena, some some of our fans might remember, like circa 2001 or so. I remember you had a solo project that was in the works. You had that single, Hey, Hey, um, but we mm-hmm. never got the album. And right. since then, I've since heard the album. You can find a lot of it on YouTube. He Changed My Mind, Steal My Song. Should have been a video. Okay. They messed out on okay. that. Um, and then we had Until You Come Back to Me. It was some decent, some really, really good stuff out there that I feel like really could find an audience, especially in that era. What happened to the mm-hmm. album and what um, decided what – triggered the decision to kind of shelve it and you to go on your hiatus for a bit? Um, actually, um, at the time, uh, you know, Priority was mostly known for rap. So, you know, they kind of were wanting to delve into R&B and whatnot. And long story short, it sort of did not uh, come to fruition. And, um I believe Capital took over um, from R&B. So all the people that um, were at the company, when I came uh, to Priority, to R&B, uh, uh, when I came to their R&B department, of course, all of those, 
always when you have a new regime, you know, everybody wants to bring in their own people. So mm-hmm. all the people that, that brought me to the table were gone. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had a, a whole nother uh, division come in. So, like I said, I believe that folded into capital in some sort of way. And so um, that situation somewhat fell apart. So long story short, that's pretty much what happened and uh, why the album never, never came out. Gotcha. Now, Ed, one thing about Cut Close is they've been one of those groups that have really, you know, stayed together and stuck together throughout the years. We see a lot of groups break up, especially now, but I'm starting to see some reunite. But, um, Ed, you see a lot of these groups breaking up. So what do you think the challenge is there? Well, actually, I would direct that one to the ladies because they were part of that era in the 90s where we just had so many girl groups. Yeah, SWV, Escape, Brownstone, In Vogue. It was, you know, naming one after the other after the other. And you would see the TLCs, and we would see them rise, and then we would see sometimes they would split off, sometimes folks would go solo. Um, talk to us a little bit, y'all, about what makes a successful girl group and why we just don't see the ladies form groups anymore like we used to. It's been a long time since we've had a, a group at the level of a Destiny's Child. They might be the last one. Yeah. Well, this is a lot of speaking. I think what kept cut close together is prayer. Uh, mm-hmm. We had absolutely in our, our background. We had some yeah. very our families very supportive of us, and um, and we didn't had no drama in within the group. And if we did, we squashed it <laughs> really quick. So that's my take on it. Would you all got something to add, Tabby, Athena? I totally agree, Avon. This is Athena, and um, just you know, the love of the music. It's also, you know, something that needs to be uh, mentioned. Uh, And the love that we saw from people still, you know, wanting that uh, cut close sound and appreciating our album and what we contributed to R&B and, and, you know, calling the Surrender album a classic, all those things, um, you know, just kept us going and kept us, you know, wanting to stick together and, you know, see things through to the end. Uh, you know, no matter what that, you know, might end up being. Uh, I'm optimistic about where Cut Close is going uh, in 2019 and beyond. And uh, those are just all the things, you know, our faith, you know, our love of one another, our love of music, the love mm-hmm. of the love we get from our fans, all of those things you know, helped us mm-hmm. to keep it together. What was the question? What uh what kept you guys together and what makes uh what makes a good girl group? Well, escape song. What I need from you is understanding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is Tabitha speaking. Uh, I think just understanding uh, <laughs> understanding uh, just the people. And I think once you understand people, it's easy to probably accept some of the shortcomings that people have um, and, and why certain things happen because communication is, if you don't have that, then you don't have anything anyway. And I think with girls, we are always prone to probably keep attitudes for a very long time. You know, we're very emotional creatures, and I think everybody knows that. 
Uh, it's probably a fact everywhere you go. And so it's very difficult sometimes for um, females to adhere to those emotions in a way where you come back and and uh, either take responsibility for them or understand uh, what you probably contributed to it for it to go awry. You know, I think that's probably really a, a huge thing to be able to accept in, in person, just understanding who you are as an individual and knowing how to wake, work out uh, whatever kind of disgruntlements that you have coming your way, you know. And so that's it's almost like, you know, trying to figure out the generational curses of, of people. And, and mm-hmm. I think generational curses of women is that we don't communicate with each other and forgive one another for our shortcomings and try and fix the things so we can become stronger as a unit because everybody has them. And it's just being able to, you know, just, understand that you have them too and not fault somebody so much where you can't work with them or you can't work it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, exactly. I think that's something that people lack in life. And that's why it's difficult for people to even mount up and actually, you know, be one unit to, to conquer certain things that come against you. And and I have to bring up black people, but that's one of our things that we don't do that we are still fighting to this day in order to be able to come together and, and show that we can be a, a a mighty weight of power that people can't get past. We just have our, our, our vision is skewed. So you just have to understand that in order to make it work. No doubt. Speak your truth. I... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so. so, guys, it's important. We've got a couple of questions left, but uh, I know a lot of the readers – want to know if there's new music coming because I know you guys have been hitting the road for a while now but is there new music that's going to come with it? Please say yes. Oh yes it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Man does the ring come with that? (laughs) 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 Give me that. Some some please say you better have some glistening. But um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Coming and in, and for, in, for us, the reason for the reason for us, the reason why we ask, and Levon, maybe you can speak on it, is just at this point in your career, you guys can pretty much just tore off the hits that you guys have. You guys don't necessarily need to new, uh, make new music, and we find that with a lot of '90s R&B artists now, they don't really want to bother making it just because it, it, it's hard to grab the uh, the attention of today's social media world. So what's the motivation for you guys to continue making music? Hmm. Right. Thanks for giving me that <laughs> uh, question. But, yeah, this is one. I usually, like social media, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not really on know much about social media, but I know that I have to in order, since this music and this everything has changed on us. It's just so... Um, out there right now, I would say, give me that question again. I'm like, give me that question again. Yeah, it's all good. It's just like, uh, what's the motivation to record new music? Because a lot of 90s R&B artists, they don't do that anymore because they just feel like, what's the point? Okay, the motivation of of our, if you're talking about cut clothes for us, I I know that I'm doing, I have a teenage, I have a, uh, I have daughters. I have a 22 year old and, and she has, you know, friends 
and when they're they're motivating me um when i when I write or present them a song, they will always say, uh, you gotta do it this way now. you gotta do it that way now, you know, so um, I love the r and b the nineties, and they seem to like it too, but they tell me in order for us to be heard in our writing today we got to kind of come out of where we were. And it makes sense, but mm-hmm. we also have our fans and, like, new fans that like our music, you know what I mean? But what motivates me, uh, I don't know about Tabitha and Athena, but it's just to to give our fans something new, uh, but don't go too far away from where we were. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Makes perfect yep. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to be heard by the new people who have never heard of cut clothes, a question in my mind: What do we do? You know what I mean? Like, how can we get those new fans to recognize who we are in the nineties, who we were in the nineties? But we trying to put uh, the new with who we were, like in the nineties, our music. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> so, but the motivation is just to, um, my motivation is just to continue to write songs and because I do love songs and I do want to reach more uh, people. And, um, and the, my daughter actually motivates me because she, she writes and she shows me the new of, uh, what they are listening to. I wanted to mention that um, in these right, the way they write today, um, like we're so used to verse, change, hook, but they're mm-hmm. and when I write a song like that, they're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you got to change it up. You know, I'm like, how? What do you mean? And so they have like four or five different melodies in one song, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I'm like how are you gonna how are you gonna say that? That doesn't even match. It doesn't even go. So that's something that I gotta get and I guess Tabitha and Athena has to get used to or do we have to get used to it? Mm-hmm. That's do we have to get used to it? Can we write like we used to write or what? <laughs> In order to keep us right. down. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, that's really the conundrum because, like you said, the way songs are written, they, look, y'all, it drive me crazy, Kyle. I'm going to go on my old man rant. But y'all oh, just man. took away the bridges, and I'm like, where are the bridges yeah. at in my song? Right. And it's just mm-hmm. weird because it's like a it's like a styles clash in my ear. But like LaVon was saying, there's a whole generation. It's like it doesn't matter because they aren't used to it. They haven't heard it. So I think the balance for artists today is to – you know, if I hear a cut close record, I want to hear some stuff that sounds a little bit like Surrender. But then you also have to mix in some of that new stuff as well and finding that balance mm-hmm. is tricky. Right. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ed, you got to adapt with the times. The kids want to hear auto-tune and trap drums. Let's give them that, right? <laughs> Look, I want to hear right. giving you my love again. That's what I want to hear. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, mad you know, at you, have, Ed. I know, right? I'm, just, I'm telling y'all. Yeah. People who are old school, 
it's very difficult to sway them away from what they're used to. And I think that's probably with every generation of whatever they grew up with. But even though you have some of those ones who, you know, like something from way back in the day and they just be an old soul, you know what I mean? But I think everybody is true to how they grew up and what was, you know, prominent in their life and when they were going through some of the memorable moments. And so if you take away that, then you take away a lot of their thoughts and, you know, aspirations and what they were feeling at the moment, you know. It's just like smells that you smell later on. Be like, man, that's so familiar. Stuff that you yeah. smell when you were young, or you know, something that your mom cooked. It just brings back just right. a, a wealthy part of your life that you want to just remember and be able to take wherever you want to go. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so with these days, you know, people have their Chris Brown, and that's how they're going to feel about their music. But people from right. our era usually don't want to hear new songs from us. They want to hear stuff. <coughs> Me. Stuff that makes uh, them reminisce. Mm-hmm. And one thing about these old school concerts is that they want to hear what made them feel something back in the day that just, you know, made them feel good. And mm-hmm. that's what music does, is it allows people to experience things again and just bring back, you know, feel good times and moments and memories that just make mm-hmm. you happy and merry and want to do whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So everybody enjoys that. You know, music is it's such a it's such a powerful thing in life. Uh, even the water obeys it. So imagine uh, the the gift that God has blessed us with to be able to give people that feeling that people can't really explain, but we give them or we give them a chance to to experience. Um, you know, mm-hmm. some people are, are not meant to be poets. You know what I mean. Some people are not meant to be able to arrange certain words in a way that the others arrange them for them to see certain things. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the gift and power that we have been given that we are compelled to give to everybody that is willing to listen. And if you just so happen to listen and be one of the ones who is just drawn in and hypnotized by it, then we thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to add this one final thing. I'm sorry, Cab, go ahead. No, I was just saying the ambiance of the world, just, you know, and, and, and how you see it in today's form, you know, it kind of motivates you to either keep that going because people do need to keep remembering and feeling good about what their life did present them. Um, and, and once you understand that and, and how the music is resonating in people's spirits now, you have to be able to bring back some of that other kind of good feeling because, you know, emotions is something else and music does a lot to sway the emotions and the energy of the world. So motivation is always there when you pay attention to that. But anyway, go ahead, Athena, sorry. Oh, no, just one little quick final thing. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the time what we hear is, oh, man, you guys only had that one album. Like, you know, we need more music. We need more music. So that's mm-hmm. also a motivating factor too. Right. And we know we have more music in us to make. So, you know, we accept that challenge to strike the balance with right. cut close from the nineties and cut close in twenty nineteen and beyond. So, you know, we're excited to approach that and, and conquer it and give people more music that they can come to the show and sing just like they did, surrender and I like. And so, yeah, you know, we're excited yeah. to embark on that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So, ladies, we're uh, we're just about out of time, but um, before we go, is there anything you you guys like to add? 
Didn't we just give you a whole ingredient to make some gumbo soup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pastor Tabitha gave us a whole sermon on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> and on a Saturday, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, we just want to appreciate you guys even wanting to interview us and to have you yes. on our, your show. Yes. Yeah. Appreciate reaching out, you know. Yes. Yeah. Listen, the pleasure is all ours. I've been waiting for Absolutely. this one for a while. Kyle will tell you so. Thanks for being a big fan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, best of luck with everything, and you know we'll always support Cut Close. So when you guys Thank come you. with that new music, make sure you hit us up. We'll definitely support it. When you guys hit the no road, we'll question. be there. So. You know, Definitely. best of luck with everything, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks okay. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank Take you. Care. Thanks, ladies. And, Ed, that was cut close on the podcast. Ed, I had to do you a favor on that one and get them for you because I know you skipped out on L last week or you had a wedding of some sorts, but, man, you love cut close. Oh, wedding of some sorts. Good Lord. Listen, it all made up for today. Tabitha, Athena, Levon, I love them to death. They are like my aunts now. One of my favorite groups of all time. And they had a beautiful, wonderful interview. I love them to death. They are hilarious. Great, great interview. You made my day, Kyle. My day's even better because Tom isn't here eating chicken raw. <laughs> exactly. And Ed, we might have to get Silk on the next podcast, but don't hold me to that. We'll figure that out. <laughs> oh, yes. We got to figure that one out, though. That one comes with challenges. Yeah, well, Ed, we're going to get into the play of please now, as promised. And you talked about Tom eating his chicken wrong. Did you see Jadakiss and how he eats his pizza? Oh, my player. I literally did not see this until right before we began to record. What is going on? Who eats pizza like this? You have to describe it. So Jadakiss calls it a crust pizza. Basically, he takes out every part of the pizza except the crust. And uh, I guess he dips the crust in marinara sauce, pizza sauce. Ed, isn't it better if he just orders breadsticks? Play, I was like, you just ordered breadsticks, except they're in a big circle. Why don't you just order the breadsticks? What is this? It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Who orders a pizza with no middle? <laughs> well, Jadix has actually explained himself. He uh, He's trying to stay away from dairy. I think he's on some vegan type of diet. He actually looks pretty good. He's lost a lot of weight, but... Like I said, just order breadsticks. Plus, carbs are bad for you, too, so he should stay away from that. Well, that's the thing. Like, and shout out to my boys, the Locks, because they're all on their health kick now. My man, Style Speed, he's got the juice bar. They're all in great shape now. But, look, if you're trying to stay away from the carbs, just don't eat the pizza. Or just eat it in moderation. Eat, like, one slice and go about your business. Don't order a whole pizza. Tell them to cut the middle out. And then you eat just the crusty circle. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, Kiss. <laughs> yep. Um, and next play a please here. Did you see Little Uzi Vert in concert the other day? I try not to look at Little Uzi Vert ever if I had a possibility. So no, I didn't see what he was doing. Well, he was on stage and then the security guys rushed him off the stage because they mistaken him for a fan. <laughs> I can't blame him for that. I would have rushed him off because I, a lot of times I thought he was. You know how they're doing this storming Area Fifty One thing. I would have rushed him off because I thought he was an alien. Throwing back in Area Fifty One. 
Uh, will you be partaking in this Area 51 nonsense? Since I don't like getting shot, no. All right. <laughs> um, and then a fun fact for you as we're talking about rap here. I found out the other day, and Little Baby said this in an interview, uh, Gunna taught him how to rap. That's that's good tutelage right there. Well, that explains a lot if Gunna is your teacher. What happened to the days where people were studying under the tree of like Illmatic and were trying to understand the complexities of a rock hymn? Now we're getting dudes that can barely speak English teaching other dudes who can barely speak English. This is where we are in the state we are in. I'm moving to Can. Well, I'm gonna say I'm moving to Canada, but your rappers are suspect too. Your R&B singers are good though. Yep. And Ed, I think you'll love this one. Aubrey O'Day of Danity Kane. She wants to do a reality TV show um, to find a sperm donor for her, and uh, the person that she has her eyes locked in on is none other than the great president, Barack Obama. <laughs> I saw this trash this morning. You think that the beehive will come for you? Wait till... I don't know what Michelle calls her beehive. The the Michelle Marauders or whatever. You let them get their hands on on poor Aubrey O'Day. Because Audrey is done. You are going after the president, who I'm still claiming is the president. Oh, it's a rap player. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. But, hey, shout-outs to Danity King. They're back together. I think they just put out a record recently, too. So, shout-outs to them. But, Ed, that seems I to be... I can't never tell. They're, like, together and then not together. I get confused. They're, like, three LWs. Stay together or go together. Like, it's like y'all switching up too much on me. This is true. <laughs> but, Ed, um, before we pass it on to you, I just need to quickly make note that Jaquise, his album Round 2 was supposed to come out this week but it's been pushed back I don't know why, I don't know how um, but Ed, we're going to get him on the on the podcast and you're not ducking away from this one Oh, who said I was ducking away from anybody let alone Jaquise because I got some questions for him regarding King Keith, so you bring him up here you know your boys here, just make sure I don't have any weddings to go to <laughs> Alright, we're going to have Jaquise on the podcast very soon, as well as many others. But, Ed, before we get out of here, what's going on with SoInStereo.com? Well, you've missed a lot if you haven't stopped by SoInStereo lately. Go check out, as we talked before, we've got reviews of Beyonce's newest album, The Lion King, The Gift. It's kind of, it's not really a Lion King soundtrack, but more of a kind of LP that is inspired by The Lion King. And it's kind of not even really a Beyonce album. So, it's kind of interesting for what it is. Also, my boy Nas, if you're into the hip-hop, returns with The Lost Tapes 2. For those who've been kind of like, oh, I don't get the big deal with Nas. He's overrated, blah, blah, blah. Let this album change your mind. It's Nas like you remember and like it. He's back on this stuff. Great album. And we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but I also, a few weeks ago, got a chance to review Trey Song's catalog. So I ranked the entire Trey Song's LP list roster all i don't know seven or eight albums ranked from worst to first over at songstereo.com check that out and there you have it that reminds me i was at a wedding recently too and they played bottoms up by trey that is not a good song no it's not thankfully they didn't play it at my man matt and um angelica's wedding they had better sense than that 
exactly. And over at You Know I Got So, I recently interviewed Nicole Buss from Rock Nation. She has that single out, You, which has been climbing the charts, and she'll be dropping an album soon, and Ed, you'll be really excited. This album will be comprised of 90s hip-hop samples. Listen, I'm all for that. What is old is new again. That's why we got The Lion King. That's why we got Aladdin. Apparently, we're going to have Mulan. Now we're going to have R&B with 90 samples. I'm here for that. Exactly. So, Ed, I think that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you to Cut Close once again for joining us. And as an yes, FYI, I, I have promised everyone, including you, Ed, that I will behave on Twitter and there will be no more slandering of Sierra or anyone else on the Twitter platform. I will be uplifting and encouraging to everyone. How about that, Ed? Well, you leave the slander to me. You be good. But we all know this is a lie. You're probably going to slander somebody else in the next two hours. So just tag me in, player. Yeah, I think John Legend's been getting off the hook a little too much. So we'll see what happens. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Anyways, Ed, I guess we're out of here. We'll check back next week. All right, players. Peace.